Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome back to another episode of the Lux Unplugged podcast. This week, I'm talking to Fida Antonov, CEO and co-founder at Anisoprint. Anisoprint is an industrial player specializing in the manufacturing of 3D printing machines, this using composite materials such as carbon fiber. As listeners know from previous episodes, Luxembourg has been attracting more industrial companies to further diversify its economy, which still heavily depends on the financial service industry. Fido and I discussed the genesis of his firm back in Russia and how his team came up with the idea of combining 3D printing with composite materials to design complex lightweight components. As you will find out in a minute, there's tons of applications in this field that we extensively discuss throughout the conversation. We also touch upon the efforts made by the Lux Innovation Agency and the framework they offered to Anisoprint to relocate its headquarters from Russia to Luxembourg and what it means for the local ecosystem in general. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Fido Antonov, CEO and co-founder at Anisoprint. Fido, welcome to the show. Hi, Adrian. Before we kick off this conversation of ours, in your own words, Fido, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Adrian. Hi, everyone. My name is Fedor Antonov. I am CEO and one of the founders at a startup called Anisoprint. And actually, we are developing a 3D printing technology to manufacture high-strength and lightweight parts made with composite materials, such as, for example, carbon, for different industries, including but not limited to aerospace, automotive uh, and healthcare. So that's what we do. And by the background, I am I have a PhD in uh, continuum mechanics and uh, I've started my career as a scientist and as a stress engineer. And then uh, about seven years ago with my colleagues and co-founders, we started this uh, company with the focus on uh, developing and de- delivering to customers worldwide this technology of uh, composite material 3D printing. So PhD it is, so very academic uh, background and and lots of expertise, but uh, then going from that route to jumping on uh, an entrepreneurship path is uh, is a big leap, right? So, uh, So what was the rationale behind this decision of yours? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. I've never seen myself as an entrepreneur and I've and I was actually never envisioning that that I gonna become one. But uh how it all happened, yeah, we had the first steps, the first results um uh, with the technology done in a university lab. But then uh, the situation uh, I I would say more or less like the political situation in the university was changing and we had no more opportunity to to continue the research and to continue the development in a lab so but we already had such an exciting results that were like top in the world and the only chance actually which we uh, which found out at the moment is that we we should start uh, our own company and let's see where it goes so let's say we were forced to uh, to get out of the university lab uh, and to start actually doing something on our own and it took some time before we understood what we needed to do and we were learning along the route and uh, eventually one day i found myself as more as a as a businessman more much more as an entrepreneur rather than uh, an engineer or, or a scientist and um, 
I actually found it quite exciting, but it, it was unintentional for me. So when you made the move and you wanted to continue this research that you couldn't do anymore at university, was it all self-funded, this uh, venture of yours? Or did you manage to find like, uh, or easily find people that would continue funding this, uh, this research of yours? Uh, of course, it was not easy. For about one year, I was looking for investments uh, and uh, more or less living on uh, on uh, the savings uh, and uh, but uh, also just when we spinned off let's say from the university we got a few first customers a few first orders uh, which helped us to survive during the first uh, uh, months where we get no funding uh, and actually fundraising especially for hardware ideas for hardware startups uh, with just the idea is quite hard. So it took us some time before we raised our first funds. And actually, my co-founders, the, when we spinned off, they kept still working for the university for a period of time while I was searching for financing. But then when we were successful with that, they joined full time. And actually, uh, the whole thing started at scale uh, after a while. So, yeah, obviously, it's uh, one of the most difficult things to to start your venture is to get it funded. And uh, it it took us uh, quite a long time, but uh, in, in the end, it was successful. Now, talking about your success and before we discuss it. So for me, um, like I mentioned to you um, offline, I am no specialist in your field. So maybe you're, and also for the benefit of our audience for them to understand you know, what we're talking about. So maybe one question or two questions into one is, first of all, what attracted you to what you call 3D printing or additive manufacturing? And two, how would you define it essentially? What, what is it for people that don't understand what it is? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I will probably start with answering to the second one because I have uh, my own, I think, very clear definition of what a 3D printing is. And it's actually quite simple. It's um, a manufacturing technology. That's first thing. Yeah, that's the, the technology to manufacture parts or things, which has three main characteristics. So first of all, it's additive. Additive. It means that uh, the structure is produced by adding material contrary to, uh, I can say, more typical extractive ones when uh, uh, the thing is created by the means of removing material. So uh, 3D printing is always additive. It's like when you make a clay statue or or, or you cut it from stone. So this is like the difference between additive and um, extractive. Second, it's automated. So there is no manual labor, no hand labor involved. So it's a a fully automated uh, technology. And then the third one, probably one of the most important is it's digital. So there are no uh, paper blueprints or or, uh, nothing like that, uh, which is typical to traditional uh, uh, technologies, but all the data for manufacturing thing is purely digital and um, the transition from a design or a 3D model to a physical part or what they call from bits to atoms uh, goes like fully digital. So if these three uh, things are in there, then uh, you can call uh, the technology a 3D printing. And actually there is a variety of, uh, I don't know, dozens, if not hundreds, of different 3D printing technologies, including 3D printing for construction, like 
concrete 3D printing or bioprinting with printing cells. But what we are in is actually manufacturing, industrial manufacturing. So it's printing with structural materials. Uh, and there, there is also a wide range of different technologies in there. Uh, and it's not just uh, one for one thing or a family of things, but they are very, very different uh, by the principles uh, and so on. So it's a huge domain of different technologies, which all have these three things in common, which I mentioned in the beginning. Uh, yeah, now getting back to your first question, uh, wh uh, why we start doing that and why we were interested in that. Uh, actually, we came up from a slightly different background, not from 3D printing, but from composite materials. And this is what I was doing and my co-founders were doing for several years before we actually started uh, our venture. We've been involved in design and optimization of composite materials and structures. And uh, we were passionate about these unique materials. And um, eventually we found out some uh, uh, solutions, some design approaches, how to make composite materials, parts, and structures much more optimal and much more efficient compared to the way they are made now or they were made before. But there was no manufacturing technology. There was no hardware technology that allowed to manufacture this kind of complex designs. And we found that the solution could be with additive manufacturing with 3D printing or particular technology, which is called material extrusion. So we started looking into this kind of uh, hardware approach uh, if it's suitable for manufacturing these designs that we were having in mind, and if eventually it is. So, uh, and we were very excited with the first results and what kind of structures we can actually make by this um, uh, approach. And uh, this is how it all started. So we are more from a composite materials background rather than from a 3D printing. And now what we say, what we do at Anisoprint is more or less like merging like the 3D printing uh, approach, the 3D printing world with all this digitalization and automation with uh, the world of high performance materials such as fiber enforced composites. And uh, in the end, it brings a huge synergy uh, when you merge these two, you now can have uh, all the benefits that 3D printing gives, like flexibility in manufacturing, on-demand manufacturing, manufacturing like complex shapes, like intricate, optimized shapes with uh, the unique materials, which brings high strength, lightweight with composite materials. And it's uh, a very exciting thing. What's the, that's maybe the, um, for me, a, a basic question to ask is, uh... What are the key benefits of composite materials in that sense? Yeah, so composite materials is actually quite a broad term. Uh, and like by definition, it's an artificial material which is comprised by two or more components with a distinct boundary between them. So we have many examples of composite materials in our regular life or around us. One of the most obvious examples would be probably reinforced concrete. So we have steel rebars, which are uh, used as so-called reinforcements. So they bring strength and stiffness. Uh, and then we have the concrete, which is used as so-called matrix to bond these rebars together and to, more, and to make them work together as a single component, um, let's say. So this is one of the obvious examples, but there are much more like such as plywood is also 
a composite material or yeah there are many many more examples around us but what we are talking about in particular is high performance fiber enforced polymer composites and here the best example is carbon or carbon fiber enforced composites and these are uh, so far uh, the most uh, high performance materials ever uh, invented by humankind and everyone heard about these materials and they're mostly used in uh, aircraft structures to build strong and lightweight um, parts such as airplane fuselage and wings these materials are used in rockets in satellites and in uh, sports cars in racing cars and in energy sector like in wind turbine blades and boat hulls so these are made with this fiber reinforced polymers and the main uh, value of these materials is not only high strength so they are much much stronger compared to most of metals but also they are much lighter so uh, and uh, these are the the two properties that normally go together and the main uh, value proposition of composites is lightweighting so with these materials you can make parts and structures much lighter if they were made with metal. And this is uh, actually a very important sustainability trend because if your, uh, for example, airplane weights less, then it consumes less fuel. And same applies to cars and other things. So it's about uh, energy savings uh, and uh, about uh, resource savings and the composite materials are quite unique uh, uh, in terms of the optimization capabilities how you can make optimal parts and optimal in this case also means lightweight and uh, that brings me actually and you mentioned it a minute ago that it brings me to the next uh, core question because uh, obviously there's a lot of things you've just mentioned but for someone like myself, I, I like I like having like some form of application, you know, just just to picture the um, the kind of needs and problems that you're solving for for your clients. So, is there any recent instance where there was a very specific example from from a client you were talking about with automotive, aerospace, uh, and so forth that in the application of carbon fiber or any sort of composite materials? Yeah, for for sure, it's a good question, and probably. One of the best examples of applications is actually drones. So all these unmanned air vehicles that have to be lightweight, that have to fly far and carry batteries and the payload, they also have structural components such as frame. So if you uh, imagine yourself a quadcopter, then it has the frame that supports uh, the uh, propellers, yeah, the fans, and it has to be made with some structural material which has to be lightweight. So we can print this kind of frames. And... Uh, other kinds uh, of parts uh, of mechanical parts for drones and UAVs. Then uh, there is a, a, a wide range of applications for robotic. Imagine this dog robot, like the one the, from uh, Boston Dynamics. It also has many mechanical parts, uh, like legs and body, which also have to be lightweight, and we can 3D print parts like that. Then also we can look into space applications like frames for satellites or there was one recent use case which we made with a team from university of luxembourg uh, they were developing a lunar rover which uh, is a, a small car uh, that has to go through the um, over the lunar um, uh, surface and um, we 3d printed for them 
many parts such as uh, brackets uh, and arms for for uh, wheels and other beams and uh, brackets and mechanical components for the structure so it's we're talking about uh, parts that are mechanical so they have to carry certain external loads so they have to be stiff they have to withstand loads and at the same time they have to be lightweight uh, yeah, just maybe the the last example that I can give, and we have a customer who is an aircraft service bureau based in Paris airport, and they, and they produce custom interiors for aircrafts and the engineering brackets and parts for interiors, like the ones that are holding the luggage racks or, or uh, seat supports in the aircraft interior. They make these kind of parts for servicing and, and customization of interiors. So they have our machines to 3D print these parts on site, on demand for, for servicing, replacement, and the designing of new customized interiors. I was going to ask, so um, your customers get the actual uh, 3D printing machines on, on site, right? You don't print them for them on demand within your, your premises? Yeah, we are so-called OEM, or Original Equipment Manufacturer. So we manufacture machines, 3D printers, which our customers use together with the materials that we provide and the software that we provide to operate these machines. So they buy these machines from us. We offer service and support. They buy materials from us. And then they do their own designs uh, and then they use our software to generate so-called machine code or toolpath for the printer. And then they produce parts uh, on their side. So that's our business model. Of course, we also uh, produce parts uh, as benchmarks or as a service when the customer wants uh, to test uh, that technology or he needs just a small batch for like prototyping or testing. So that's what we do for customers as a pre-sale process. But uh, uh, ideally, yeah, our customers have machines and they produce parts that they need on site for them. That brings me to a more Luxembourg-focused question now, because um, you, you studied in Russia, right? So you did your PhD in Russia and, and, and started out your, your venture there. It all, it all began there, and then, and then you moved your headquarters to, to Luxembourg. And one of the key questions that, or the key themes that we've been discussing with multiple guests of ours is that, interestingly enough, Luxembourg is known for many things, and it, it also has some, some bits of industry in the country. It's not known for being an overarching industrial destination in that sense. So as you're in a, in a very niche sector, and um, in that sense, I'd like to understand actually why did you pick Luxembourg as the base for your, yeah, for your company? Just, just to manufacture those machines that you just mentioned? Yeah, that's the question I actually uh, answer quite frequently too. So obviously there was a demand that we needed location or a headquarters based out of Russia because yes, that's where we started seven years ago. And this is where we made first prototypes and we actually start manufacturing our first machines uh, four years ago in Russia. But it's a very difficult location to do business from due to many restrictions and logistics, customs, things like that. So, And uh, it's also a very difficult market to be in because the economy is quite immature. And when we start marketing our machines, when we got to our first international trade shows, we met our first customers in Europe and we needed to uh, ship 
machines to them, and that was very hard to do out from Russia. So we started looking for a jurisdiction in Europe to work directly with the customers uh, in, in a more uh, in a better way. And basically, what I did, I start looking into several options, and I start contacting innovation agencies in the several. European countries. But uh, as a startup, we always need to go through the way of less resistance uh, because it's quite hard to assess and to choose which country is better. And basically, uh, what helped choose Luxembourg in this case was the support that we got from Lux Innovation from the very beginning. And uh, that's um, the main reason why we finally chose Luxembourg, because Lux Innovation team was so much supportive and so much open. And we understood that we are welcome and we moved everything, all the assets uh, uh, already almost four years ago. And now we have a big team here in Luxembourg. We we manufacture our machines uh, here and we ship actually worldwide from Luxembourg. And now we see many benefits which we didn't in- envision at the beginning of actually being a, a manufacturing company in Luxembourg. It's quite a good place to be for a hardware startup because uh, there is a lot of initiatives by the government and governmental support to promote industry, to support industry within Luxembourg, to diversify the economy from being just a financial hub to being actually an industrial manufacturing hub. And uh, uh, that's also about the space economy. And we have many applications for space. And so here is, is there also a lot of synergy. Actually, before we talk about space, and you, yeah, you, you definitely guessed it, as you Printing uh, lightweight uh, materials for, for space, and as Luxembourg is is on, on the path of becoming a, a leading destination for that, then we'll, we'll touch upon it in, in a minute. But it brings me to a, a spontaneous question, if you don't mind. As we just said, Luxembourg has has no. I mean, they want to become a bit more industrially uh, exposed in, in that sense. But at the same time, and that's a recurring theme that we hear from guest speakers of ours, is the difficulty for for companies to attract talent to Luxembourg. And as your company or your field is extremely specialized, how would you get the right or how would you attract the talent to Luxembourg, given all the specifications that you're after in this field? Well, this is indeed a very tough question. uh, And uh, it's not so easy to answer. Basically, yes, there is this problem. And we understand that we will have to face it. But first, as uh, the first solution that we have is obviously that we uh, started in in Russia, and there is a big talent pool, a great talent pool, which we can find there and we can relocate people. And uh, people are actually willing to do so. And uh, this is where we can attract talents from and uh, for, for, for engineering and technical talents. Um, and otherwise, yeah, it's uh, in the modern world, we can afford many remote employers and actually our head of marketing, she is German and she works remotely and uh, most of the marketing team works remotely. So whatever we can do remotely, of course, uh, it's now much easier than before. And uh, But actually, by the way, uh, we are able to find a good um, talented engineers uh, so far here in Luxembourg as well and uh, assembly workers and uh, production managers supply chain managers so far we had no real issues with 
uh, finding uh, good candidates and good talents uh, uh, locally. In the interest of time, I'd like to move on now to uh, space. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, we have launched recently the series called Dark Matter Uncovered, which goes into more details when uh, when we discuss uh, Luxembourg and, and the space uh, industry. But here in this case, we will just uh, touch upon it briefly. But so in your case, Fido and, and Isoprint, uh, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on being retained as the one of the five startups that are now part of the what they call the startup support program when it comes to supporting the space ecosystem in Luxembourg and probably in, in a wider context in Europe. So that's the one thing. And then maybe if you, if you can spend a few moments on, you know, explaining you know, what, this, what this whole scheme is about. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, thank you for for congratulating on uh, us being selected into this program. Uh, yeah, that's a big thing for us and a big breakthrough because for several years already, one of the best applications for the future and one of the things that that inspires a lot me personally is the is not only the opportunity to produce parts to manufacture parts on Earth, but to manufacture parts directly in space. And this is the, a very, very big topic for the future. So in space and in orbit manufacturing, one day we will have to maintain infrastructure uh, outside our planet and to build structures and to produce structures in space. And the technology that we are developing is actually very, very suitable for these kind of applications. And we've been uh, trying to, to push this initiative for many years already. And uh, the first idea was that we can launch uh, and uh, we can design and launch a special 3D printer to operate on board the International Space Station and to produce structural components for uh, CubeSats, for for satellites directly on board ISS. Uh, and that solves many uh, issues and many problems with um, uh, the on-demand uh, satellite manufacturing. But this program, which we were like finally successful with uh, through the application, that was our fourth or fifth attempt uh, to get into this space topic, is actually by the European Space Resources Innovation uh, Center. And uh, it's um, the application that we're uh, looking for is low gravity or zero gravity manufacturing device that will allow to manufacture spare parts and components on the moon for the Artemis mission that is going to be launched in 2025. And the idea is that uh, with this thing, if you have a machine on the moon where you have your moon mission deployed, and you have a 3D printer there, and uh, it will allow you to manufacture spare parts and components on demand. So there is no need to order them or to ship them from Earth because it takes time, and it's uh, and time is uh, in many cases critical. So, and with the solution that we are trying to address is that you can have a warehouse of materials, and you have machines uh, on the moon. And then if you need some special parts, some replacement part, if like something is broken on your 
rover or or in any other uh, uh, devices that are used there for extracting resources or for maintaining infrastructure you can manufacture them directly on demand or with a, a very short lead time so that's the idea this is the first step for a bigger concept of actually deploying manufacturing facilities and production uh, outside uh, earth do you would you get the materials to print all those parts in space, would they also be sourced from the space, uh, the space Resource Initiative? Or would you have to bring them up from Earth? As the first step, we will have to bring them from Earth. It should be possible to extract some materials uh, on the moon, but this is also quite an immature topic. So we need to do it step by step. And um, with uh, the, um, our approach, with our technology, we can ship raw materials from Earth, and these are lightweight materials, so you don't need to ship something really heavy or bulky. Uh, so you just need to ship some stock of raw materials from Earth, and then you it's uh, already uh, yeah, proven that it works. But then as a second step, as soon as uh, it's been established there and... Uh, we can do more experiments on um, extracting material, like, for example, from lunar regolith or, or other resources that are found there. But yeah, as a, as a first uh, step, it's uh, the materials that are going to be shipped there. I'd also like to understand from you, Fido, what's actually, now that you've been selected as part of this program, so you, you've made it into the space uh, industry, and then you're continuing also serving your other clients that are not linked to space, What's the overall plan in the coming year? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we have many, like our main business is still on the earth. Yeah? So, and uh, there are challenges that we are facing and these are mostly the production challenges. So we actually now have much bigger demand for our systems and for our machines that we can actually produce here so the main goal for this year is to scale up the production further to expand our facilities uh, to produce more machines to cut the lead times and to uh, be able to service more customers and this year we need to ship about 500 machines and for that we need to manufacture at least 50 machines per month uh, and this is quite challenging and of course that's one of the biggest goals for this year also this year we start shipping our first industrial machines uh, like they're much bigger machines that are designed for production for the factory floor for the 24 7 manufacturing and we ship our first machines this year to the better users and then we will uh, have to set up the production of these big machines as well uh, and this is another big uh, big challenge for this year with our, our main business. We're also planning to open a service center for on-demand manufacturing of parts. Uh, and this is what we're going to do in May or June. So there will be hopefully a big announcement, a, a big press release for this center to be open. And of course, we're looking to grow the team, mostly in sales and marketing, uh, to be able to work more directly with our customers and to understand more applications and what kind of problems we can solve. And Space Initiative is at this moment is just launching and uh, it's uh, going to be a bit separated in the beginning from the main business. So with this um, startup program, we start with the first three months period where we have to work on the business plan. And then if we're selected for the 
Second phase, which is actually two years, is the proof of concept. But then uh, if uh, after that uh, there is a, a real uh, design process, we'll start where we will have to design this special machinery to operate on the moon. So, And of course, we are still uh, raising money for expansion. We haven't raised too much venture capital so far. We were mostly focusing on proving our business model and uh, working with customers before we can actually scale. And now we understand that we are more than ever ready for scaling. So fundraising, uh, the venture capital is also one of the major goals for this year for us. And now there is a new goal which recently popped up. Uh, as you mentioned, yeah, we've started in Russia and we still have uh, a team and a team of engineers and an R&D o- office in in Moscow and with the current circumstances with this uh, terrible war unleashed we are we've made a decision to relocate the whole uh, Moscow team to Luxembourg uh, it's a, it's about 25 people 25 engineers that we have um, in a Moscow office and we are we have started the process of relocating everyone and hopefully we will move uh, the team by uh, midsummer, and we are we are closing the Russian office, and we actually have a very good support from uh, the Luxembourg ambassador George Faber personally in this process. So this is one of the recent challenges that we have is relocating the team and actually consolidating the team, which is good. So we will have everything and everyone on the single roof as soon as it's finished, which is uh, better for business, I believe. Yes, I agree um, with the latest um, events that have been happening around Ukraine and, and, and all this. And it, as it impacts your business in Russia, I can fully understand that you're looking for a more stable base uh, to to do business and, uh, and be uninterrupted. No, I, I agree. And but there's one burning question actually for you that I wanted to ask, and uh, it's one of our favorites, I, I shall say, because uh, you've been in Luxembourg for some time. If you were given the power to change anything in Luxembourg, what would you change? Uh, yeah, it's a very good question because uh, the only thing that uh, I'm really missing in Luxembourg, but I'm not sure if it's possible to change, uh, it's uh, too good to struggle. <laughs> and <laughs> you need a bit more uh, struggling uh, to push you, uh, yourself and to make more efforts to be successful. So in Luxembourg, I think the biggest problem that I see, especially in all kinds of uh, business services and the famous banking system and all the other services are actually quite slow and uh, but i'm not sure if it's possible to change or we need to change that because uh, uh, people uh, here are uh, quite secure and they are not really struggling for changes <laughs> and uh, the absence of this fact is uh, yeah it's it makes uh, it quite calm yeah? and you need more more action, uh, especially for the startup as being a startup and for the startup environment. You need a more challenging environment, actually, <laughs> uh, which will push you for changes and for growth. It's a long-term process, let's put it that way. <laughs> but on that very constructive note, Fido, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. It was a very enriching conversation about uh, an Isoprint and all the plans that you've got. And then, like I said earlier, I definitely look forward to having you back on the show in the coming months to further discuss your your venture. Sure. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for this opportunity. And thanks, everyone, for your attention. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. 
Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Thank you.